How are y'all doing? Good, good, good. I, uh, I kind of tricked y'all. I scooted up because y'all scooted back. So um, a couple of things. If you are on the setup team this morning, raise your hand. All right. I'm going to call on uh, two of you, okay? I want uh, Ricky, be prepared. This is the question I'm going to ask you. What was the most challenging thing that you had that you experienced this morning, okay? And then, uh, Jonathan, I'll just do you too. So I want you to be thinking of those questions, give you a little bit, because it's our first day in Cooper Elementary, uh, Cooper, in Cooper, I went to Cooper Elementary as a child, that's why I'm going to say that a hundred times, Cooper Junior High. And so this is what we call our soft launch, and what we mean by soft launch is that we didn't tell anyone except for people inside our church. So if you, if this is your first time, or if you uh, are not a regular attender, that means you know somebody, somebody cares for you so much, they invited you to be here um, and so we're excited that you're here. But this morning and, ne- and next week is what we're doing. Basically, we're doing two short church services, and I'm gearing my messages towards you guys, towards believers who, who are ready to be used by God in a big way. And so I, I kind of think of this day as the first day of school, so to speak, because you remember the first day of school whenever you would uh, you get through the summer, the summer would be you were so excited to be out of school, and then as, as the summer kind of went on and on, you'd get to that point where you're like, I'm ready to go see my friends again. I'm kind of ready to go back. Maybe it's excited. And my kids, I saw this day where I was asking them, are y'all ready to go back a couple weeks ago before they went back? And they were like, yeah, we're ready to go back and see my friends. And then it takes about a day and a half or two days before you ask them, and they're like, you know, I'm so sick of school. I'm so sick of it. And my, um, Annie, my five-year-old, she went to kindergarten for the first time, and we asked her the first day, how was it? And she said, I got to use glue sticks. It was awesome. And then on the third day, how was it, Annie? She was like, oh, we did glue sticks. It was, oh. And she was so dramatic about it. And that's kind of how it goes when you gear up for a big day. The same goes for, uh, for starting a church, especially in a portable setting like this. So I just want to, first of all, say thank you to all of you that came early. It took a long time. In fact, there, were, there are so many kinks to, to figure out uh, of how to do uh, this setup. I want to just ask real quick, so Jonathan and Ricky, Ricky, what was the most challenging thing you faced this morning? Getting here at 6.30, not a, not a bad answer. Jonathan, what about you? Okay, yeah, getting signs in the ground without a mallet. Those are th- kinks that need to be worked out, right, that you got to figure out. Now, I'm going to uh, throw you back to 12 years ago when we started the very first time we ever tried a portable church. Uh, again, we remember we were called the Springs Church 12 years ago, and we had this great setup as well. It was not quite as fancy of stuff as this, but everything about my focus had been the Springs Church. In fact, we've got a couple of people that were here on that day. And what was exciting about that is I had thought so much about the kids, we've got to buy this stuff, this stuff, and get stuff on the screen, and then how are we going to plug it all in? And so I asked two people to, to, to buy the stuff in our tech people. I asked Matt Masulo. Matt, raise your hand. Yay. 12 years ago. And then I had a student of mine that uh, was a, I was a youth minister before I was a pastor. So I had a student that actually purchased all of our equipment. And so the two things that went the best were Matt and this probably 15 or 16-year-old student actually hooking everything else. Because everything that I thought about was pretty good the first Sunday. But it never dawned on me that we had to do it again the next week. And so 
when we got done with that first uh, service, we had all this stuff, and we had a big old truck, and we had no carts at all. And so I, I just want you to think about every single, whether it was a soundboard, whether it was a speaker, whether it was the communion, everything had to be carried one by one out to a truck that, again, had no carts. And so everything was just kind of set on the floor of the truck. Because in all of my excitement, I had been thinking about the day, but I never thought about the day today. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to realize that just as we can get excited about the day, the really important thing is that we remember the day today, what God is going to do over the day today. It is not just a moment where God is going to impact our lives. It is a movement that God wants us to do. And so I want to ask you a question, a theological question to kind of jump into the text today, and that is this. Have you ever wondered why Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss? Why did he betray him with a kiss? Surely you've heard this story that Judas specifically, I'll read it to you in Matthew 26. It says, this is in verse 48 of, of chapter 26. It says, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and he said, greetings, rabbi. And Judas kissed him. Why did he kiss him? Now, it wasn't as awkward as it would be today. The social customs back there, that wasn't an unusual thing to do. But it also would not have been unusual to say, hey, that's Jesus. Go get him. Why did he kiss him? I actually had a discussion uh, with some friends of mine about this, and as we were talking, it became clear to me that I think I know why he did it. I think in that moment, the disciples were ready. I think they had been prepared for three years for this moment when people were going to come after Jesus. And in fact, just a, a few hours before this, this is what Peter says to Jesus. This is in verse 35. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples, all the disciples said the same thing. So the context of, of Judas doing this is he knows, hey, the mindset of these guys right now is that they're willing to die for him. And so Judas comes up, he kissed Jesus, and Jesus says, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and they laid hands on him and they seized him because if he had not kissed him, if he had not walked all the way up to Jesus one-on-one -on -one and kissed him and, and hugged him and embraced him, if he'd have just pointed, then all the disciples would have said, hey, I'm Jesus, take me. They were all ready. Every one of them was willing in that moment to step up and say, hey, take me. They were ready for that moment. But what is so fascinating is right after this, Peter's, he's geared up, take, he would have said, take me, and, and he doesn't get the moment because Judas kisses and he identifies him so clearly. And so, Judas, or, so Peter takes out his sword and he starts ready to fight and Jesus stops him. And as soon as Jesus stops him, and Jesus looks at the crowd, and this is what Jesus says to the crowd. At the hour, it says in verse 55, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. 
But all this has taken place so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. See, what's interesting to me about this is they had gotten so pumped up, so geared up about this one moment in time. For three years, they had, had seen it almost happen where Jesus was almost seized and, and they'd been gearing up in their minds. They know there's going to come a day when somebody comes after Jesus, when they try to arrest him. There's going to come this moment, and when that moment comes, I'm going to be ready. And they were ready. They were ready for the moment. But it's amazing how the moment comes, and Jesus, rather than say, hey, we're going to fight our way out of this. In fact, he specifically says, if we, if we live by the sword, we're going to die by the sword. Jesus says that. And then they realize, wait, he's not calling us to fight He's not calling us to go to war. He's calling us to martyr ourselves. And all of a sudden they realize, you know what? The movement is a lot harder than the moment. The movement is a lot harder than the moment. And what I think happens to most of us, especially we can get caught on a day like this, is we can be ready for the moment and miss the movement. My heart for our church is that this isn't just about a big day, about us having a great day where we've set up to where we've, we've become prepared, to where each of the teams has done a great job of, of, of being ready and we've worked out some of the kinks. This isn't about today. You've known those people who, who get so excited about the wedding, right? And then you see a bride that's so excited about the wedding and at, at some point you begin to click and say, hey, you realize a marriage comes after this, right? You're so excited about the day that you're not thinking about the day today. What's going to happen after this? Now, the disciples weren't ready for the movement, but Jesus was. Jesus was ready for the movement. And in fact, as it, as it approached a few hours before this, Jesus had specifically told them, this is what Jesus had said to them. This is in uh, verse 31. He says, uh, you're going to fall away because of me that tonight it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you with Galilee, to Galilee. And so he says, listen, they're going to get me and you guys are going to scatter. He knew it was coming. He warned them. But he didn't just warn them. He also prepared them. He gave them a tool. He gave them something that they could go back to and, and day after day they could unite again together and they could realize that, you know what, it's not just about the moment. So before you go back a, a little further than this, just a few moments before Jesus says they're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter and, and he sits them all down and he does something that is pretty common to us, but at the time, it was almost heretical. He took the Passover meal that they were celebrating, and he began to redefine the elements. He began to redefine it to where this wouldn't just be something that you did once a year. He actually took part of the celebration, and he began to say, whenever you do this, you're going to do this quite a bit. And he took bread, it says, and he says, after blessing it, he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the drink and he says, this is the new blood of the covenant. Now that cup in the Passover meal has a different meaning. But he says, this is now going to remind you of me and the forgiveness of sins. Paul would go on and he would show us a little bit about how they would celebrate this over and over again. And he says, every time that you eat of the cup, I mean, eat of the bread or drink of the cup, you are proclaiming, he said, 
the, de- the death of Christ until Jesus comes again. I'm telling you, so much has gone into this moment. You may not even realize it. We had guys get here, and ladies probably, get here at 6.30. We had them up setting up all of this stuff. We have them, your kids, getting ready for your kids. We had so much going on, people trying to figure out how to unbox something for the first time, how to plug it in. Uh, yesterday, we, I, I thought I was going to go up to the church. We had asked people to come up to the church to help us clean out and to load the trailers. I thought I was going to come and find like four people. I thought I was going to be there all day yesterday. And I drove up, and I see, first person I saw was Ricky, and then I saw Michael, and then I see so many of you, and, and we were able to, to knock out so much. In fact, we drove to, uh, I drove to the storage, and we were unloading stuff in the storage, and uh, we had a first wound, Richard uh, Green. He, uh, I look at Richard, and Richard's got just blood pouring down his leg. Um, uh, he claims it was a softball wound. I think he just took one for the church. It was, uh, it was really neat. And then uh, we had a great team-building exercise when he poured out all the eggs, the Easter eggs that we were putting up, and they went all over the storage unit. And we as a team were able to pour, pick those up. And it was just, I was just so excited about seeing so many of you that we're gearing up for this moment. But as it, as it was approaching, I, I just couldn't help but say, you know what? There's so much more that Jesus taught us than just having one great service. We've got to do this again and again. And it's not just that we're doing it for ourselves, because if you fast forward what happens after this story, Jesus is arrested. You hopefully know this. He was crucified on a cross just as he says he was, said, said he would be. He's crucified for our sins so that we could have eternal life, but then he, he comes down, he, he's raised from the dead, he shows himself, and the first thing he does is he goes and he gets these scattered disciples. He goes and he finds the disciples. And you can read several accounts of this. At the end of John, he goes out and he specifically goes and he gets Peter, who was so distraught, he's out fishing now, and he can't even, he's gone back to the only thing he knows, and, and Jesus goes and he reclaims all of them. And he says, good news, there's a second chance because I'm actually going to leave you again. I'm going to leave you again. And this time when I leave you, you're going to remember what I taught you. Do this in remembrance of me. You're going to remember what I taught you. That instead of scattering, you're going to continually come back. And you're going to celebrate and you're going to proclaim until the day I return. You're going to proclaim that my death was sufficient enough to bring you eternal life. And so I just want to go to Acts chapter 2 and I want to give you a vision of who we are, where we are right now, I believe, as a church. Acts chapter 2 is the first uh, setup team, the first greeting team, the first children's ministry you can find in Acts chapter 2. You may have missed this. Let me show you where it is, okay? Acts chapter 2, the disciples start off And it's just the disciples. It's just them. They haven't invited anybody extra into it, okay? They're having a soft launch, so to speak, okay, when we begin Acts chapter 2. It's Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. It's just the disciples, but they decide, you know what? There's going to be a festival. There's going to be an opportunity where we can proclaim what God has done, what Jesus has done. and, And we can proclaim it because everybody's coming to Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. And so they do that. They get a big room. And Peter decides 
you know what, now is the moment, now is our launch, now is when we're going to start, and he does this, and he preaches a message that if I preached to you, you would hang your head and you'd be like, wow, that was the harshest message I've ever heard. He basically pointed to them and said, you know what, there was this man named Jesus and you killed him, but don't worry, God raised him from the dead. And you know what happened on that day? You have a hundred disciples, you have some uh, women and children, disciples is, is, is everybody, and 3,000 people, it says in verse 41, were added to their number that day. So the church goes from just the disciples of 100, just the amount of people in this room, to 3,000 people the same day. I want you to think about what we do if 3,000 people come next week, okay? What happens is verse 42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That is, they started coming to church and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread here is communion. They said, we're going to have communion. So in other words, said, in other words they said, we're going to keep having church. We're going we're gonna to keep praying, having our prayer. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. And it says, awe came upon every soul. And there were many wonders and signs being done through the whole apostles. Now, this sounds like it's all hokey and stuff. I want you to see the practical in all of this. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this is not a communist manifesto. This is a church that has just had 3,000 people come into it, and they're trying to figure out the logistics of having a whole bunch of people from Ethiopia, a whole bunch of people from Greece, a whole bunch of people from Syria, and they don't even speak the same language. They've got kids, they've got animals, and they've got to eat, and they've got all these logistics. And the disciples look at this and say, hey, we're going to keep having church, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, but we have got to be a little different. And so we're going to have all things in common. Some of them sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as they had needs. So some of them were like, hey, I've got, I've got 15 kids in my house. Does anybody have any tables? Hey, I've got a table over here. And they're going and they're getting this table from this house. And they're figuring out the logistics. Hey, I've got a whole bunch of, uh, of disciples that are from Greece. Does anyone speak Greek? Hey, I speak Greek. I'll come over there to your house. Hey, I've got a whole bunch of, uh, of people from Timbuktu. Do you speak Timbuktu over here? And they're trying to figure out logistics in Acts chapter 2. The story of the church in Acts chapter 2 is a story of people who are frantically trying to figure out how do we deal with the logistics. But look what it says. And day by day. In other words, they knew it was more than just a moment. That God was going to do something fantastic, something miraculous as they figured out the logistics day by day. Attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you look at what God did because about 100 people were prepared. About 120 disciples were prepared. Not just for one moment, but for the movement that was about to come. In my heart, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing I want you to see is we have got to devote ourselves. Devote ourselves to, the, to this church and all the logistics, all of the, the kinks, all of the, 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 
things we're about to have to learn. I believe we're going to get this down to a science, this portable stuff, but let me just be honest with you. It was hard this morning. It was difficult, okay? And people were tired. In fact, now there are some people in this church that have to think about Saturday night. Can I go out Saturday night because I have to get up Saturday morning? It is not easy what we're doing. Logistics are now having to fall into place. So we're going to have to devote ourselves, not just to setting up this church, but to coming together with a glad heart and, and receiving communion together. In fact, in just a moment, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask Jeremy and Rachel, Clayton, if you'll help them too. I want you to go ahead and pass out the elements. Because in just a moment, we're going to receive communion, but this can't be something that we just do occasionally. We've got to get into a, the habit of breaking bread together. Now, in this passage, it's, it's, it's interesting. The first time it says breaking bread, it's referring to the Lord's Supper. It's referring to the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. The second time, it's just talking about having meals in their homes. When it says they were breaking bread in their homes, it means they were just eating together. They were encouraging one another. If it's just about Sundays, eventually the movement will get old. The movement will get routine. It's so crucial that everyone in this room understands We've got to, day by day, encourage one another, celebrate what Jesus has done in our life together, encourage each other when it gets hard and when the drive's a little further or, or the setup is a little more. I don't just get to show up to church and turn on a light switch. Now I've got to get there and I've got to set, take stuff off a cart. I've got to get prepared. There's a lot more going on. We've got to devote ourselves, just as the early church did, to showing up church, but also to fellowship during the week, day to day. But the second thing I want you to just catch a vision of all of this work that they had done, that they had prepared for, look how God blessed it. Day by day, God added to their numbers. Now, on the low end, what this means is that every week, seven people joined the church. Seven people showed up to church. Do the math in your head real quick. If seven people came every single week, how many people would be here in a year? 365. Some of y'all realize that's one person a day. That's right. Now, I want you to think that the, at the very, very least, man, that's my prayer, is what if we could as a church pray and point people to find Jesus at this church, and just have this goal of what if we showed up, that's the other key, is they have to show up, right? Because we show up every single week, and we see seven visitors show up. You realize that's, that's on par, that's God doing Acts 2 in our midst. That's my prayer, is that when we think about Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we think about what God is doing in this church, in this day, because it's not just about one moment. It is about the movement, the sustain every single week. And so, the second thing I want you to, to, to ask you to do is I want to ask you guys to gear up for September 8th when we actually have what we're calling our launch. I want you to, in that day, I'm giving you a week off, okay? I'm giving you a week to prayer and, and think about this. I want to challenge every one of us to begin thinking, who am I going to be inviting on September 8th? 
who am I going to invite knowing that just as you did, that our greeting team is going to, there's going to be signs out there. There's going to be greeters ready for it. There's going to be coffee waiting for you. There's going to be a band and screens and everything. We're going to figure it's going to be even better. We're going to figure these things out. And as we do, we're going to be prepared for the people that God brings to this church. And as we do that, I see with all of my heart, just as Acts chapter 2 had this opportunity, where at the end of the day when they were hard, they were worn out, they were able to say, you know what? God used us today. God added to our number today. So what we're going to do to close is we're going to receive communion just as they did in Acts chapter 2, just as the early church was taught. And so, if you will, I'll give you just a moment to receive your elements. Thank you, Jeremy and Rachel and Clayton. Again, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, knowing he's going to be betrayed, knowing that the sheep are going to scatter when he leaves, he gives them this. And he says, you're going to proclaim this every single time you eat. You're proclaiming what I've done. And this was a habit that we see in Acts chapter 2. What the only difference between the disciples when they scattered and when they didn't is that they were together celebrating communion. This is a tool that we have to unify ourselves, not around, hey, in an awesome moment we made, but it's it's an awesome movement that God has made. It says, after blessing the bread. He broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every single person that is here in this moment. But Lord, we thank you not just because of today, but we thank you because of tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We thank you not just because of this moment, but because of the movement that's going to occur because of you. We thank you for the greatest gift we could ever have, and that is in our sin, in our rebellion, you coming to this earth, you dying on a cross for our sins and offering us free grace, offering us forgiveness when we don't deserve it. Lord, there are many of us in here that have been looking forward to this day, and we've been tired, we've been exhausted, we've worked hard, we've figured things out, but perhaps we forgot that it's not just about this day, that everything that we're doing is about what you're going to do day after day. Today, today we just open our hands to you, Lord. We give ourselves to you, not just in the moment, but for the movement. And I pray that everyone that is here today will be encouraged and see the vision of what you could do in this place. 
what you could do with people who are far from God walking into a school. Maybe it's a school that they drop their kids off every day and they've never really considered you. But now that they're struggling or now that they're going through a new season, they're trying to figure it out, Lord, now, what if they say, I'm going to try out that new church at Cooper Junior High? Lord, we pray that when they walk through the doors and they see our greeters and they see the signs that have been set up and they drop their kids off and their kids are received with a smile and they say, you know what, this church is ready for me. This church is waiting on me. Lord, I pray that they walk in here and they hear your words in the music, in the message. And I pray that something happens, not just because I spoke some words, but because they received, they saw a glimpse of who you are in the hands and feet of this church. Lord, give us the courage, give us the motivation to devote ourselves to you every day. Lord, we pray for September 8th. We pray that all of the things we've got to work out, all of the technical difficulties and everything that's going to come our way, we pray that you will just give us solutions, give us guidance. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us into this movement. It's in Jesus' name we pray.